0: You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church, located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.
1: Not yet? Well, there we go. Okay, once again, welcome one and all. Uh, And to visitors, please, uh, you're welcome, of course, to join us after the service to uh, my left, your right, for coffee, tea, chit-chat. And um, on this lovely morning, before I forget we traditionally take a moment to reflect that we wish to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississauga of the new credit First Nations lands, which lands were previously occupied by the Senecas and the Huron when that First Nations. When... Going over the readings the other day, four key words jumped out at me. One was gambling, the other was chance, change, and immortality. I looked at, I went to the internet and looked up some of these terms to see what people have said. And for gambling, it was the shortest. It only had 20 entries, but I'm not going to read all 20. The first one that caught my attention was monotheism introduced the idea that we should passively accept whatever fate God dealt us. Gambling seemed to be a refusal to do that. Um, That was by Aaron Brown. American writer. Now the next author you'll probably recognize, someone once asked me why women don't gamble as much as men do, and I gave the commonsensical reply that we don't have as much money. That was, uh, a tr- that was true, but an incomplete answer. In fact, Women's total interest for gambling is satisfied by marriage. Gloria Steinem. Chance. Sophocles wrote that chance never helps those who do not help themselves. On a lighter note, and this is two co- two people were credited: Edmund Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Hard work never killed anybody, but I figure, why take a chance? Um, change. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future the Bible, Paul Bode. And um, in true dialogue both sides are willing to change. And that was uh, Thich Nhat Hanh a Vietnamese Buddhist monk and peace activist. And immortality. I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. Woody Allen If something comes to life in others because of you, then you have made an approach to immortality. And on a lighter note, and in a typical vein, Bernard Shaw said, martyrdom is the only path to immortality and that requires no talent at all
0: Grounded, Guided, Growing A Time for Centering from Scott Kearns
2: I was uh, doing some work on the topic of of, uh, of identity of of one's idea of oneself from, for work and, and I, I've morphed our little thing we do here when we talk, we just remind ourselves what what we have chosen to ground ourselves in. Which means, what do we consider foundational? What do we consider unmovable? And instead of choosing a particular book, a particular person, a particular uh, culture, a particular anything, we chose to pick the one fact that we cannot deny, which is life. Life and all its interconnections. And so I I changed the wording a little bit and I I just like the cadence of that. Life grounded in it, love guided by it, and wisdom growing in it. And I was thinking of the first one, life and its connections. And if the next slide, Peter, next slide. That fact doesn't go away. It doesn't even go away when I die. As long as you're still here or someone's still here, that's a fact. And I like that we ground ourselves in something that can't be contested. It's true. And, I, and, and usually we go on to the other parts of that, but I wanted to, to the next slide. That brilliantly gives us an identity and a sense of belonging and a sense of what impact we have. And those three are pillars of mental health Anyway, quite apart from here or anywhere else, those three things are so essential to human beings. A sense of their identity. Who am I? And I love thinking of myself as a little tiny spot on the enormous web of life all around me. You're on there too. All sorts of places and all all life is on there. I'm part of this. I have an identity that no one can take away from me. Even if I deny it and don't live according to it, we all slip up on that. But that's me. I have an identity in the web of life. What a privilege and what a challenge. And the next part, a sense of belonging... I belong to it. I belong to you. One of the worst things in long-term care is when someone comes in and they've lost their connections with people they're used to and they feel they don't belong. There's a bunch of new people. When someone's new here, it takes a little while to feel like you belong. But on that web, we belong ipso facto. I belong to a pretty big family. Huge family. Lots of conflict in it. But that's the family, Right? Right? Family, right? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Just, I wanted to say, I I developed and taught a course at Durham College on, and they wanted to call it, Complex Family Dynamics with the Elderly. So it's a bunch of nurses and, and physiotherapists and occupational therapists in the room. And I said to them, I said, my first question, how many of you ever worked with a family with complex dynamics? And they all put their hand up. And then I asked, how many live in a family with complex dynamics and they all put their hand up, which is so true. Um, but we belong, and that has its ups and its downs. And the last one, the impact. That's another thing in long-term care. What's the use of me anymore? What 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 effect do I have in life? And that's a big pillar of mental health. What And, and, and you live on that web, you have an impact by what you do, by what you don't do, by what you say, by what you don't say, it's big. And I just wanted to put that up there as I play that uh, lead us into the sharing song that that um, being being grounded in the web of life fulfills those basic mental health requirements of what makes a person whole. Love that.
1: The first of the two readings this morning, you never know beforehand what people are capable of. You have to wait. Give it time, it's time that rules. Time is out, pardon me, time is our gambling partner on the other side of the table and it holds all the cards of the deck in its hands. We have to guess the winning cards of life, our lives. <clears throat> Second reading. If before every action we were to begin by weighing up the consequences, thinking about them in earnest, first the immediate consequences, then the probable, then the possible than the imaginable ones, we would never move beyond the point where our first thought brought us to a halt. The good and evil resulting from our words and deeds go on apportioning themselves, one assumes, in a reasonably uniform and balanced way throughout all the days to follow including those endless days when we shall not be here to find out, to congratulate ourselves, or ask for pardon. Indeed, there are those who claim that this is the much-talked-of immortality. um, Offered as wisdom for the journey.
2: May we walk in its light.
0: Focused moments from Greta Bosper.
3: Thank you, Scott. <clears throat> um, the focused moment is being moved a little bit today because we're going to sing a song after it. Normally, we just go into the perspectives at that point in time. But um, I focused myself again this week on trying to write a new hymn. Uh, ...to a traditional hymn tune, and so that's what I did. Uh, and Scott and I have a very different approach to music, me being raised in the United Church... which Uh, of which much of its music was what I call beat me, beat me. Uh, It's about, you know, lamenting how terrible we are and how horrible we have done. Um, And so I bring that lament bit into uh, many of the songs that I write. Uh, So although it was a hymn tune, a traditional hymn tune, which we try to put at the beginning of the service, it absolutely didn't fit at the beginning of the service. So we're putting it after the focus moment. and, and it's good that we're both writing because Scots are songs that bring us to places of joy as well. Uh, so we have a nice balance there. The focus moment, uh, I normally don't do much of a preamble to the focus moment. At least I don't write one uh, for it when I'm putting it together into the resources that I'm trying to collect. Um, and I note, in uh, as I wrote them this uh, week, that I wanted to put a note to it. And that was because it sounds like I'm speaking to someone else, uh, but the content of the focus moment is one that it, it must be spoken to ourselves as well from time to time, uh, when we find the ways that we are, uh, willing to hide from ourselves the truth, uh, that we know so as not to disturb the homeostasis, the balance that we have achieved in our life and in our relationships. I'm sorry I thought you were someone with whom I could share my ideas my reflections on yesterday and how it's everything leads us on toward tomorrow I thought you'd be interested in the thoughts that drew these two together one an imperfect memory the other an extrapolated dream I thought our conversation might run toward possibility, set something in motion that might challenge us to leave behind the detritus of yesterday and find within its shadows, still heavy on our hearts, a gateway to opportunities unseen, to brilliant ideas yet unconsidered. I see now, my apologies for your trouble, that you've no interest in new ideas, in beating back the oblivion of everything we already know so that we could explore more deeply. I see now that things are infinitely easier when we stay on the path, yesterday's cobbles yawning out before us as far as the eye can see. I see now the difficulty of the unexpected way and will not trouble you again.
4: more, a mind that opens every door. No matter what we there may find, its burdens lay on humankind. Loud call the argument the futures ever deepening night but we took it something It's fragile ground, for only truth can set us free, and we are earth's only champion.
3: Thank you for bravely daring that range. Oh my gosh. Like I had to sing the first with my yelling voice, the first half of it, and the second half with my singing voice. I, how they wrote those things and why. Anyhow, it was as I was just, you know, drumming it out in my head when I was writing the song, I didn't have to try to go from here to here. You know, anyway, thank you. So you get what I mean by the beat me, beat me thing. Um, It's about how we've done these terrible things, but of course there's the opportunity for redemption in them. So thank you for that too and uh, for taking that into the future from today. Uh, The concept that I sort of uh, wrapped my heart around on Wednesday uh, and solidified on Thursday ended up in an argument that Scott and I had uh, and I don't think it's because he intuited what it was I was going to talk about. I, think, I don't think it was because it was, you know, bothering me, and so I picked the fight. Um, but it was very good. It was really, it was very focused on exactly what it is I want to talk about today. And that is, uh, from our readings, you may have gathered, that that's what, about what our influence is. What influence do we have on the people around us? On larger society, uh, on the world as a whole, particularly at a time when uh, we are looking at a future that is not going to be better for our children uh, than ours was for us, but probably going to be more difficult and for their children more difficult still. Uh, and much of it because of what we have enjoyed in our lives, Uh, the privileges that we have had, the opportunities, the technology, and the ways that it has allowed us to uh, see the whole world if we have enough money to see the whole world, or to um, go on long vacations, or to uh, install uh, lights in our home that uh, go on and off as we want them to, or just whatever consume coffee every morning. Uh, we can do all of these things because of technology, progress, because of the way our society has unfolded over the past 50 to 80 years. And before that, things were simpler. Uh, we did things a little more carefully because we, not because we thought it was important to do them carefully, but because that was all that was available to us. I have this, I, I think I've written a hundred different ways to save the planet that I learned watching Little House on the Prairie. Um, which isn't, you know, I didn't really watch Little House on the Prairie. I just imagined uh, that show and what we did with it. And one of the ones that I do, and some of you will roll your eyes, uh, but they didn't leave the lights burning in every single room. In fact, they only had three rooms, maybe, whatever. They didn't leave the lights on in every room when they left them or lit the, light the house up so it looked like there were people in it when everybody was away uh, because that would have been dangerous. So I have a little solar light that I tuck into my belt And uh, I walk around. After nightfall, I walk around with that. And that's what lights the rooms that I'm in. I know that somebody's going to phone the police one time because they're going to say, there's someone in there with a flashlight, right? Um, But it's my little house on the prairie thing that I do. But when we think back to things like little house on the prairie uh, or programs uh, earlier in time or later in time, even Anne of Green Gables, uh, we we think back on very simpler times. Uh, we didn't get, um, we didn't get mandarin oranges unless somebody sent them to us in the winter. We didn't get pomegranates except at Christmas time. Uh, we didn't have asparagus year round. We got to, we got to eat it in the spring when the shoots were fresh and local. And my grandmother used to drive to the woman, uh, the berry lady so we could get raspberries in, in August, uh, and at no other time of the year. Now we expect all these things. Uh, to be at our fingertips whenever we want them. So the first, uh, the second reading is the one I'm going to deal with first, and that's the reading where uh, the implications of our choices and the things that we say and do, how they have ramifications into the future. And how do we extrapolate those ramifications, and do we bother? Um, I, think, I don't think that we've thought much about wanting a pomegranate in August, uh, it's there in the grocery store, so we want it and we buy it. Um, if it was only there in December, we would want it in December and buy it, and we would think about it uh, in July. Those little seeds popping in your mouth—it's—I can hardly wait. So a lot of the things that we might think about if we were given opportunity to, uh, we might decide, okay, let's not go, let's not go there, let's not bring the pomegranates in August. You know, I enjoy them. I enjoy them in December. I enjoy the mandarin in December when someone sends it to me as a treat at Christmas time, not, uh, not all the way around the year. Uh, asparagus, well, it actually is better when I get it locally in the spring, so let's not do that. We don't think about all the implications of our conversations or our purchasing or our lifestyle choices. Um, Scott and I are currently, um, that is absolutely a lie. Scott is currently working on our deck, trying to refinish our deck, which, um, which I designed and had built a little bit at a time to the point where it's now 650 square feet, which is enormous, right? Which is a huge tax on, on the, you know, the wood volume that we have consumed, right? It's way more than we should have. And Scott's now having to strip it which is putting a pile of chemicals in the ground, and then he's going to, oh, and then he brightened it, and now he's going to stain it. So we, we don't always think of the implications of our choices until we're at the point where we have to say, well, we've got to do something, so we do it, right? So, uh, and the work that he's been doing, I, was, that wasn't, I wasn't blaming him about that. <laughs> I was just saying he's the one who has the work on his shoulders. It's we who make the decisions to do that, and me who put him in the position of having to do that. Well, we don't often stop and think about the extrapolation of those things, but think about a, a conversation, because that's the delicious little kernel at, at the center of influence that I want to talk about today. Uh, think about the conversations that you have with people. If it's somebody that you don't really know, and Scott often remarks on the fact that I'll go up to somebody who I don't know and say something funny and we'll laugh and go, and go on, and he goes, that is not an introvert. An introvert does not do that. And I say, well, introverts do that because there's no investment. I don't have to go home with that person asking me questions all the way home. And I don't have to sit down and have coffee with them and engage in a dialogue. It's just this little interaction it's nice. And, and then I can walk away from them, right? And if they don't respond appropriately, it doesn't bother me, right? So we have those little interactions with people that we don't really know. And we just have that short, brief engagement. Then we have people who are acquaintances who we will you know, talk to about things that people generally talk to about. Uh, some of us without any knowledge whatsoever, but yes, I do know the Blue Jays, so I can say, oh, did you see that last Blue Jays game? And they can say, yes, and I can say, I missed it. And then they'll fill you in a bit on it and you can look like you're even interested, right? Because there's this common uh, conversation that can take place, right? And, and so you find the common ground and you share that with people who are acquaintances. And then there are friends, people who uh, you hold in your heart. Um, and there are very, very close friends, but they're also friends. Uh, and those two levels you might deal with differently. But with the first level of friend, someone who you know and like and spend time with, um, you can't really say no when they want to talk about something. So you find yourself in conversations you are unprepared for. Uh, sometimes and not really wanting to say some of your thoughts on it because that might end the friendship. So you just really kind of nod and go along and say the things that you know that person wants to hear, right? If, it's in, if they're in a troubled spot. Um, I'm thinking that's how you deal with friends, right? But you may not. You may be bolder than I am. Um, so all of you can ask me something really challenging today, and you'll find out whether you're a friend or whether you're an acquaintance or whether you're, I'm kidding, <laughs> don't even try that. Um, so, uh, so, friends, we're, we're generally wanting to maintain those relationships, and we don't want to introduce a significant amount of risk into them, right? Because we don't know what the implications beyond that might be. I... I true close friend is someone who you either are really not wanting to lose and so you lie to them all the time uh, or they're people with whom you can speak the truth that you can say what's really burdening your heart Uh, and you can say it about something they've said to you or something they've done to you not just something out there that you have trouble with but you can actually challenge them on the things that they have said and done Uh, that you have some concern about. And when you enter into that conversation, it's not to straighten them out. You're not saying, you know, you said that, and I take umbrage with that, and this is what it really is, and blah, blah, blah. That's not what happens in the depth those depth relationships. If you enter into the conversation with the knowledge that you may end up being the one coming out with the changed mind and the different attitude and the new information, uh, that makes you aware on a different level. But risk takes place, right? There's a big risk in that. So in the first reading, or the second reading, I'm sorry, when we're talking about uh, the extrapolation of our choices, uh, we can extrapolate them with each of those different levels of of people in our lives. Uh, and family is anywhere along that continuum. You may have family anywhere there. Um, and and how it works figures itself out into the future. When you say something, you really have no idea where it is lodging in someone's heart. If it's an innocuous... uh, Did you see the last Blue Jays game? It's probably not lodging anywhere very deeply. Not that sports aren't deep. Just that it's a casual comment. But if you say something else, uh, like... um, you know, vitamin C, is. they've found that it's actually toxic. And then you just go on to the next thing. That can lodge somewhere in somebody's head and make them worried about something. And I have no, there's no, um, at, that I'm aware of, no research that shows vitamin C is toxic. I just made that up as an example. So you can take that in, someone can take that into their head and start worrying about, oh my gosh, I've been taking 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C every morning and every night. And, oh my gosh, And how? what am I supposed to do? It can lodge in someone's mind, in someone's heart, very differently uh, than what you may have intended it to. And they go off, and you have no idea that that happened. And you don't know who they're going to tell that information to. You don't know how that's gonna impact them. You don't know where their lives, they're all gonna end up with scurvy, right? No, because they eat broccoli too. But the vitamin C, they stop taking the vitamin C because you influence them in some way. And I'm using that as a ridiculous uh, thing. But I'm going to talk about more serious subjects uh, as we move along. We all want to influence the people around us. When we enter into conversation, I have to remind myself uh, that a conversation is an invitation to conversion. It's an invitation to having your mind changed, to having your heart changed, to having your life changed. When you enter into those conversations that uh, have that sort of gravity, uh, you, you are really entering into a place of risk, both for yourself if you're the one seeking to influence someone and the other person uh, if, if they are trying to influence you or anyways, back and forth, you know what I mean. Um, so we have to uh, protect ourselves uh, and we do protect ourselves by choosing what it is that we will talk about by choosing to whom we will speak about those topics that are very close to our hearts, uh, that weigh on us, that are challenging, that are troubling. We may share them with a few people uh, and know that those people will hold them in confidence and help you understand ways to move beyond whatever it is the trouble or situation you're in is. Uh, You may share it a little further. You may tell it to the person on the plane because you know you're never gonna see them again and that's the only person you're gonna tell that secret to ever. But you're trying to influence people mostly to either uh, do something for you or to change their mind about something and see the world in a different way. And when we do that, uh, we find that the implications uh, can go on and on and on, uh, except that we don't find that, sorry, the implications from that can go on and on long beyond the conversation being over. And here's where we get to the first reading, which is the one about gambling. That life is a gamble. A conversation is a gamble. That there is, uh, in that conversation, the opportunity to go one way or the other. Uh, and influencing people being a risk is kind of a gamble. So if you want to influence someone in a certain way, um, you share what it is that you want to share and you invite them to shift their understanding, to shift their perspective on it. If they're open to that, if the conversation goes well, if you can back it up with you know, the ideas that you've been talking about or that, that have formed your opinion on that matter, you may be able to change their idea. You may be able to influence them. But, as Scott uh, was saying to me uh, the other day, you can't be invested in their being influenced. Because if you're invested in their being influenced, then you end up in what is essentially a codependent relationship. I'm not happy unless you suck up everything I say and do and say as I share with you. You hear the things that I think are important. Uh, they settle into your heart in exactly the way I want them to. Uh, we may have to have some conversations about it. Uh, but you'll go out of this place with committed to the ideas that I have given you. Right? I'll have influenced your perspective. And that's one, of the, that's one of the challenges of our conversations with one another, is that if we want influence, we need to know who and how and when to share the information that we want to share or the perspective that we want to share. We, we have to know who's open and who's not. We need to uh, share our ideas with those that we believe are open and invite them uh to a new understanding and then perhaps they'll go on and invite others. Uh we don't want to uh simply uh start arguments with people who are uninterested and unsupportive of our perspective. Uh if you if you do that you're just going to be frustrated going forward. Um, but you don't want to not share it and nothing happen because it stays within you and the influence you could have is not undertaken. So how do you know? How do you know who you can share information with, right? Like, how do I know who I'm allowed to say what to? Um, In the history of this congregation, there have been many things that I have said hoping to influence people, and it has not gone well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's a bit of that, you know, not working it out very well or not doing the extrapolation and considering uh, well, if this happens and then they tell this person and then it goes there and oh, yeah, that's the end result. I didn't think about the end result. The board, we didn't think about the end result. We knew that when we were making several of the challenging decisions that we made, uh, that it would have an impact. We didn't, you know, we didn't bet on the particular impact. Um, but we kept talking and kept influencing and kept making uh, shifts to our understanding and our being together until we got to where we are now, right? But how do we, in our own personal relationships, determine how we're going to uh, engage? And I know many people in, who have been supportive of this work, lots of people who are in touch with me from around the world. Um, and I might need you to, to translate a German letter today on the Marie, which I received this morning. Um, people that we hear from around the world, they're, they're often saying, I can't, I can't do this. I can't find this. I can't do it. I can't welcome people the way that West Hill is welcoming people. It won't work in my context. What do I do? And I don't know what they do because it would be very frustrating to be in that position of, of having a belief system that has uh, evolved along with the denomination that ordained them um, but still is not allowed in that denomination. So how is the Anglican Communion in Canada uh, going to deal with uh, those members of its own clergy and people in its own pews who wish to be affirmed by the decision to ordain uh, or to allow uh, the marriage of same-sex couples, right? How are, we gonna, how are they going to deal with that and how are we going to respond? I don't have an easy answer, except that I think that, that reading about um, considering the implications is important. Um, what are the implications of entering into the conversation with this person about this particular thing? And where does it go from here? And what do we do with our hearts when it's rejected? And that's, that's huge. Um, the work that I do is the work of influencing people. That's my job. Um, Scott was saying, "You can't, you can't live that out." But that's my job, is to influence people, and my heart rests on where your hearts go with what it is that I give you. And so, when it doesn't go, or I, or there's a rejection that comes back, it takes me very, very low. And Scott was challenging that, saying, "You can't do that. You can't really get upset when people reject what it is that you say." And I, but I know that for each and every one of you, when you have, I'm not. It was good. He's going to tell you later that we didn't have this conversation. <laughs> no, it's okay. Anyway, I'm just going with... I affirmed he affirmed my upset. Yes, he did. He just felt that... Yes, he affirmed that I was upset. He has. It would be very hard not to affirm that I'm upset when I'm upset. Just telling you. So, but thank you. Um, but uh, now I don't know where I was going. <laughs> he was affirming me being upset. Oh, well. I won't go any further with that one. Um, for the challenge that we have is to uh, hold our hearts and care for our hearts even as we fail to provide the influence that we would like to provide. And often we don't know that we've failed because people are too polite to tell us. And so we assume that we share a common ground when in fact we don't, uh, and that's okay. That's moving us into that relationship where it's too much to risk moving someplace else. Uh, and staying in that one place is very, very important and helps us maintain a comfort in that relationship that we might otherwise uh, have lost uh, the relationship altogether, the co- discomfort and then the loss of the relationship altogether. And many of you know the experience of that uh, and have, have lamented uh, those losses that we've that we've experienced here at West Hill, but also the losses in your personal lives that you have. So that gambling image of uh, Peter's going to play, Kenny Rogers got to know when to hold them, and know when to fold them, know when to uh, walk away and all those kinds of things. Um, That gambling image uh, should be with us as we move through many of the complex conversations that we have with people. Uh, Those in our acquaint with our acquaintances, those who are, you know, friends, those who are close friends, uh family who may be all across that spectrum. Uh our understanding of where other people are gives us the footing to be where we need to be and to engage in those conversations. Um it may be a time when you just hold it close and you don't say anything. It may be a time when you do, you know, put it out there a bit and challenge others. Uh it may be a time when you just uh walk away because it's not gonna go anywhere productive and the only place it's gonna go is someplace ugly. And there's times when you stay because it's going to be ugly, but it's worth that challenge and it's worth going through the process of standing in the ugliness until beauty can be made from it. And the conversations that we have in this place are always important conversations because we talk about those things that Scott spoke about uh, earlier, about identity and belonging and integrity and how we work them out based on the system of values uh, that we have accepted here as a congregation. We're not talking about ideas that don't have an impact on one another. We're talking about ideas that have an absolute impact uh, on one another and the world around us. And so the conversations that we have are meaningful and important. And my hope is that as we have those conversations, we're not in the walk away because it's gonna be hard mode. We're in the let's have the hard, in order to find what is beautiful and what it is that we can take, keep in our relationship in order to take to the world in a different way. Thank you. I was about to say that you go out into a world filled with risky conversations, but you're already in the room uh, where risky conversations can take place and should take place. But you go from this place because of that familiarity with risk, because of the encouragement around risk that we do in this place, because of the conversations we have weathered and lived through. And so, when you go into that world, which is a place of risk, you go with the confidence of one another's hearts, of the ideas that have been shared, with the, the depth of experience that risk has provided. And you go to transform those relationships you have, uh, to change minds if just an iota, uh, to have conversations that might deepen and crystallize and provide beauty to your relationships so go and be about that work uh, be brave, be gentle and be wise go and peace
4: shout it on the mountains sing it in the rain.
0: to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.